Okay, so this is part three of Abraham, all right? I, I promise this will be the last one of this little series. Um, it had been a long time, you know, the way God kind of deals with me is he just, you know, puts little things in my heart and he lets me think about them for a while and, you know, look through the Bible and, and, and they just kind of turn over in me and he had put the, the Abraham in my heart and I knew that Abraham was kind of a big subject. I've never really preached a, a series before, but this one kind of turned into a series unbeknownst to me. So this will be part three. Um, today, actually, Pastor Joe was supposed to preach, but he was gracious enough to move to next week and let me have this slot. So hopefully you didn't show up today expecting Pastor Joe and you're disappointed who you ended up with. But this is part three, um, but we wanted to kind of keep him consecutive, so... Thank you, Pastor Joe, for being understanding. Now, remember, we're, we're going to continue on with Abraham, but remember, this is not just a New Hope story time. You know, hooray, we're going to hear some Bible stories. You know, Th these things are recorded in the Bible for us to read them. And yes, they are historical events, but we read them and then we internalize them. What does this mean to me? What is it saying to me? Why did the Holy Spirit put this in the Bible? And what is, what is the application to me? What is the application today? So not just stories that we're going over. We're going over stuff that applies to us. So as we go over this, think of you, your life, yourself, what this means to you. Okay? Now, for the past two Sundays, I have been going through the, the history of Abraham you know, and, and why he's this prominent figure in the Bible. Um, and don't worry if you haven't been here. You know, I'll, I'll try to catch you up really quickly, um, but Abraham was this man of great faith, a great example to us, and we've established this fact, you know, I've, I've said many times that he is referred to as Father Abraham, you know, you should be familiar with some of these things, something I actually forgot to mention, but is actually God himself is referred to many times in the, the text as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Many, many times throughout the Bible, he's called, referred to as the God of Abraham. That's how people would talk about Yahweh, God. They would say, well, well he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They would point to him. So that's how much uh, Abraham is identified in, in, in this prominent figure in the Bible, you know, called Father Abraham, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And remember that Isaac, which we talked about last week, was this child of great promise that was foretold to Abraham, and he waited and waited and Abraham was a man of such great faith, he was so trusting in God that he didn't even spare his own son. He was willing to offer his own son to the Lord. That's how trusting and that's how much Abraham believed in God. That he, he actually believed, if you look in the New Testament, we went over this last week, that Abraham was thinking to himself, I'm going to do this, but God is able to raise him from the dead. That's how much faith that Abraham had. Now, remember, Isaac was born to Abraham when he was about 100 years old and his wife was about 90 years old. Now, for these past two weeks, I've been just singing the praises of Abraham, okay? Just singing the praises of Abraham, and rightfully so, because he is an example to us. He is a biblical example of what real faith and what real trust in God looks like, okay? But I never said he was perfect. I never said he was Jesus. I never said our salvation comes through Abraham. No, no, no. Abraham was just a man of like passion, just like you and I. He was a good example of a man, but he was just a man. 
him and his wife do something that causes an awful lot of trouble, a lot of problems, immediate problems, immediate consequences. And you could even say that the, the mistake that he made is still impacting the world today. We, we could jump to that conclusion. And we're going to look at that. So for today, we're not going to continue chronologically. The last couple of weeks, we were kind of chronological in the story of Abraham, but not today. Today, we're going to go backwards a little bit, and we're going to look at something that I kind of skipped over. It's such a big topic that even three weeks aren't enough. You could continue on with this series, but I already told you I wouldn't. Well, there's other things in the Bible we can focus on, but this is... Knots of meaning. Brothers and sisters, the Bible is so meaningful. Do not read it superficially and just say, oh, Abraham had this guy and this happened and that happened. No, no, no. There's, there's no depth to these stories. You don't hit bottom. When you get your shovel out and you start digging, there's no depth to them of the things you can glean out of the Word of God. I believe it and fully persuaded in this. So we're going to go back a little bit but, and read a few things that we've already read al- already, but that's okay because you should be familiar with some of these things. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. We read this a a couple of weeks ago. But this is where we need to start this morning. Genesis 12, 1. I always use uh, the King James Version. If you don't, that's okay. Follow along. We have them on the screens. It says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, at this point his name's Abram, not Abraham yet, but Get thee out of thy country, from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curse thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So Abraham departed, as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. Now, this is pretty much considered the beginning of the Abrahamic covenant. It says, God is beginning to reveal himself to mankind through Abraham. Okay, so this is the very beginning of the Abrahamic covenant. Now, we, we spent these last couple of weeks seeing how the faithfulness of Abraham to, to God, to this covenant, even his obedience to God allows us, even today, to take part in the revelation of God. Okay? Now, all, all families of the earth can partake in the blessing that came through Abraham out of this revelation of God and this covenant of God. So, so here in the text, God is saying, Abraham, come out of Ur, the cult. come out of Babylonia, come out of Mesopotamia, is what God is saying. He's saying, I'm going to settle you somewhere else where I designate you. Verse 5 says, And Abraham, or, so I'm sorry, Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran, and they went forth to go into the land of Canaan. And unto the land of Canaan they came. Now, out of the passage I just read, those first five verses or so in Genesis 12, I want you to remember two very important things as we go forward. Remember, number one, and I've harped a lot about this, remember Abraham's age, 75 years old. We, we just read that. When, when God starts this covenant with him, Abraham is 75 years old. And number two, I want you to realize this is the time when God speaks to him Abram immediately obeys. He comes out of Ur of the Chaldees, and this is when he settles in the land of Canaan. Remember those two things. He's 75 years old, and and then the Bible said in verse 5, and into the land of Canaan they came. So at the age of 75, Abram comes out of Babylonia to the place God has for him in Canaan. Those two things are very important for us 
to remember. Now, at this point, we, we read, Abram has his uh, nephew with him, Lot. Okay? Abram and Lot begin to increase, increase. Actually, the Bible says that Abraham was a very wealthy man, and, and Lot had some wealth also. Well, their, uh, you know, herds increased. Their, uh, whatever they had that made them wealthy back then, that, you know, we don't really have today, gold and so on and so forth, textiles, whatever it was, they increased tremendously. Well, his company and Lot's company started striving together, you know, so they, they kind of separate, okay, and Lot, you remember any of you have been through over this before lot looks and abram says you choose all this land here you choose and lot chooses to go towards sodom and gomorrah and doesn't work out very well for him if you know the story but abram chooses to stay in canaan okay now we don't really know how much time goes past but this is when they separate god again comes back to abram and remember, God is revealing himself, okay? God had already started this covenant process, which we just read in Genesis 12. And now we're going to see God, Lot departs. Abram's there by himself. He's in Canaan where God told him to stay. And God comes back to Abram. And he says this. Now we're in Genesis 13. And this is verse 14. It says, And the Lord said unto Abram, After that Lot was separated from him, God says, Lift up now thine eyes. And look from the place where there are northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, God says, and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that no man can number the dust of the earth. And they, then shall thy seed also be numbered. So here God comes back again with a promise. And if you notice, God's promises almost seem to get bigger and bigger every time he comes back to Abram and speaks with him. And, and, and this time he's saying... The, the, your seed, your, your descendants are going to be like the dust of the earth. That, that's how numerous your descendants are going to be. That's this promise of God. Now, remember, Abram has no real evidence for any of this stuff, right? We've heard that the last couple of weeks. He has no evidence that any of this is going to come true. Actually, he has no seed. God is saying you're going, your seed will be like the dust of the earth. But in reality, Abram has zero seed. Nobody. Nothing. But, but Abraham believes and trusts in God. Now, that kind of brings us to Genesis 14. A lot of this we're going to have to skip over. I told you this is a, lots of material, but we're going to have to skip over some of this stuff. But Lot, remember I told you he went to Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, he, there kind of is a little fight or a skirmish or something, and Lot ends up getting captured by these guys, and Abraham gets all his trained men together, and he goes and delivers Lot and rescues all of them. And in that chapter, the Bible introduces us to a mysterious figure called Melchizedek. And you can read about that some other time. He's a mysterious figure. And I'll let you maybe preach on that some other day. But we'll, that's not for today. But we get to chapter 15 of Genesis now. God comes back again to Abram. Okay? Now, I know that some of this is redundant. You're probably thinking, Jason, we've heard this for the last couple of weeks. This is pertinent, very pertinent that we go over this today. So bear with me. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1, says this. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision. So now he's coming to Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless and the steward of my house? 
is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed. And lo, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now towards heaven and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And then we come to that verse, Genesis 15, verse 6. And Abram believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Do you see how the Lord comes back? And each time the Lord comes back, the, the promise is bigger, and it's even greater. It was like the dust of the earth. Now he's saying, look up at the stars. Can you count them? No, it's impossible to count them. Now we have modern technology we can see with these telescopes like we never could back in his day, and we find out there's, there's billions and billions and billions. You can't n number them. And God's saying, that's what your descendants are going to be like. And, and then God even clarifies and says, no, it's not going to be thus Eli Ezer. One of the, the servants is his house. God says, nope, it will be a seed from thine own bowels. Someone that comes from you, he says. So you see how God comes. He, he makes the promise greater and even elaborates on it more. And remember, Abram has no evidence of any of this stuff. But Genesis 15, 6. By the way, do you have that highlighted yet in your Bible? I think that's the third week in a row I told you. And Abram believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. That's, that's your, your scripture, your, your pivotal scripture that teaches us. Place your faith in God. Place your trust in God. Now, after that, Abraham, you know, after God speaks that in, in that vision to Abram, tells him, look at the stars, Abraham worships God. Builds an altar and sacrifices, and, and God kind of speaks some prophetic things to him about the, uh, the Egyptian captivity, and, and you can read that sometime on your own. But that brings us to Genesis chapter 16, where we want to focus on today. This is where Abram and his wife mess up. They mess up. Now, remember, before we read Genesis chapter 16, verse 1, remember that Abram and his wife have been patiently waiting. I'm sure that Abram shared all this stuff with his wife. He would go to Sarai and say, you ain't going to believe this. The Lord spoke to me in, in a, a dream, and he said to look up at the stars. He said, that's going to be like our descendants. You know, and I'm sure he shared all this intimate stuff, this, this revelation he was receiving from God. I'm sure he shared it with his wife. And they're patiently waiting on God, being good stewards. And remember, God increases him, and he, he's a very wealthy man, doing good. They're waiting on these promises of God. Abraham believes in them. He doesn't doubt. They're doing good, holding on to the promise of God. Hasn't happened yet, no real evidence yet, but they're doing good. They're holding on to it. And then we come to Genesis chapter 16, verse 1. Here we go. It says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children, and she had an handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in, unto, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abraham hearkened to the voice of Sarai. Now, before we go on, there was an archaeological discovery years ago. I actually believe it was toward the end of the 1800s in a city called Nuzi. They begin to find these 
legal documents. Uh, they call them the, the Nuzi tablets. There was this old city called Nuzi. It was in ancient Babylon. I, I believe Nuzi is Kirkuk, Iraq today. And they begin to unearth these tablets. I, I actually believe they found all kinds of them. And they're legal documents. They, they refer to them as the, the Nuzi tablets. But in these tablets, it, it stated legally that a, a wife could obtain a child by a surrogate mother from a handmaid. Okay? So that's what these Nuzi tablets stated. From These discoveries were from this time that we're talking about, the, the Abrahamic time, Abrahamic covenant. These Nuzi tablets, you can, you can look at this, Google it sometime on your own. But here, I believe Sarah's evoking these Nuzi tablets. Okay? She's saying, hey, it is legal. I can do this. It is, it is my right. Here we have this document, and it was accepted by those people at that time in history. She's saying, hey, I, I, I'm unable to bear these children, so legally, here is this handmaid. Abram, I'm going to let you have her as a wife, and I can obtain a descendant through her. So she's evoking her right through the Nuzi tablets, okay? Now, you'll notice something. The Nuzi tablets are not mentioned in Scripture. Why is that? Because they're not inspired scripture. If they were inspired by the Holy Ghost to be scripture, they would be in the book. They're not in the book. There are a rule or a custom that someone made up that a group of people said, hey, I got an idea. And other people said, hey, that don't sound too bad. So they voted and they passed it. It's not in the scripture because it's not scripture. They're not from God. It's just an agreement that some people made. Now, what does the Bible say? The Bible says that a man shall leave his mother and his father and cling unto his wife. It does not say he shall cling unto his wives, plural. It does not say that. Genesis tells us that a marriage is between a biological man, one of them, and one biological female. That's what a marriage is according to God. Marriage is not our construct. We, mankind didn't make it up. God did. God did, and we have to do it his way. What, what mankind does is we say, well, hmm, God made it, but let's morph it. Or God made it, let's change it. Or God made it, let's not do it at all. When that happens, God who designed all this, it doesn't work right when we do it our way. Or when we morph it, or when we try to add to it, or so on and so forth. Genesis tells us, here's the standard. A man leaves his mother and father and he cleaves unto his wife. One man, one woman, that's what biblical marriage is. What, what did Jesus say in the New Testament? They, they came to him and they started asking him about divorce and so on and so forth. You know what Jesus does? He points back to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. He says, from the beginning it was not so. And when Jesus says that, when he says from the beginning it was not so, what he's saying is go back to Genesis 1 when God created it and it was all good. That's the standard. That's the example. That's the way God made it. One biological man with one biological female in a monogamous marriage for life. That's what it's supposed to be. That's what God shows us in Genesis 1 and 2. Men, are you listening to me this morning? It's not good to have multiple women, men. Not good. It's not supposed to be that way. It is not good to look at multiple women sexually. I, I, I would highly doubt that there's any men in here that have multiple wives. That's not really part of our culture anymore. But, but 
I would believe that there's many of us men that look sexually on our phones or computers or whatever it is at other women. And God, Jesus says, from the beginning it was not so. Man, you have one wife. One wife. You know what the Bible teaches? I love the practicality of the Bible. You know the Bible actually says, men, it isn't good to touch a woman. It's not good. You know why? Because the women feel good to us. Amen, men? They feel good to us in our hands. The Bible says, hey, I'm going to give you a warning. Don't touch them. You know what the ne very next scripture is? Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife. Because the Bible knows that drive is in us men. And it says, men, don't touch on the women unless it's your wife. Don't touch on them. You, men, you cannot take fire into your bosom and not expect to be burned. This is not going to go good here. This is not going to go good. I know we're talking about Abraham, one of the most awesome men in the Bible, and his wife, one of the most awesome women in the Bible, but it's not going to go good. Multiple women, for you men, it's not good. Stick with the one you got. This is not going to end well. Genesis 16, 3 says, And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abraham had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. Now, did you notice? I find it very funny, very ironic that the writer of the scripture decided to insert that little part right in the middle of Genesis chapter 16, verse 3. Right there in the middle, it said, after Abraham had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. Do you remember the two things I told you to remember from our opening text? Abram's age and where he was when he came out. He was 75, and that is when he was 75. That's when he settled into Canaan. God said, come out of Babylonia, settle here in Canaan. He's 75 years old. Now here, Moses is writing, and he inserts this little piece of information after Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan. What, is this, what the writer is saying is that Abram and Sarah had lived there for 10 years. They've been patient, waiting on the promises of God long enough. 10 years! 10 years God keeps coming and making these promises saying, I will make your seed like the dust of the earth. No, it's going to come from thine own bowels. Count the stars. That's what your descendants are going to be like. 10 years! We can deduce from this text, 10 years they've been settled in the land of Canaan, and they're looking around. There ain't no little children running around then. They've been patient long enough. They waited on the promises long enough, and they weren't coming true. Abraham had visited, or God had visited Abraham several times, telling him that your seed would be like this and your seed would be like that. But he's got nothing to show for it. It's not coming true. He's continuing to get older. So if it's 10 years from when he's 75, he's 85 years old. His wife is 75 years old at this time. She's 10 years younger. Sarah had already gone through the change. The Bible tells us that. So pull up your bootstraps, everybody. They are going to help God make those promises come true. They're going to offer God some help. Because obviously, God needs a little bit of help to make these promises come true. Sarah offering Hagar... The handmaid to Abraham is their way of making the promises of God come true. It's man's way of making those promises come. It was not God's way. It was man's way. 
God is sovereign, brothers and sisters. Let me tell you that this morning. He is sovereign. He does not need your help. He does not need your input. He does not need your suggestions. He does not need your plan. He does not need your opinion. He doesn't need all of that. He was able to fully function infinity ago when you weren't even thought of. Just sit tight and be patient on the promises of God. The Bible says, who can give counsel to God? There ain't anybody that can counsel God. They can say, hey, sit here, let me, let me tell you a few things. Let me share some of my wisdom. Well, I've been around for a long time, and I've noticed this and that, and I'm going to help you, God. The Bible says, who is there that can give counsel to God? Nobody can give counsel to God. Job and his friends tried. Ever read the book of Job? All these things happen to Job. He gets all tore up, and they're wondering, man, why? I've tried to serve the Lord, and Job calls some of his intellectual buddies over and they start discussing theology they start discussing philosophy and they're wondering this and that and and they're trying to figure all this stuff out do you know what God said to Job he said who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge you cannot offer God a piece of information that he does not know you you cannot you you, you cannot God God you seem to be making all these big promises You seem to be having a tough time making them come true. So, Lord, I'll help you with these promises that you made. They were pretty big ones. I mean, man, descendants as numerous as the stars. That's a lot. We better help you out, Lord. You cannot counsel God. You have no knowledge or no information. You have nothing that you can offer him that he does not already know. He is an infinite being, being, and we are finite beings. Lord, you made all these big promises. I think you need a little help. That's what Abraham and Sarai are saying right here. We're going to help God. We're going to kickstart his plan. God, it's been 10 years. Apparently, you're you're struggling. It's been 10 years, Lord, and we've waited patiently. We're good Christian people. I think that 10 years, I think you're telling me to spring into action. I think that's what this means. You're telling me to to jump in, to to throw my hat in the ring. Apparently, I think God wants me to take control of this situation. I think God wants me to, he's going to use me to make his promises to come about. Wrong. Wrong. Just stay patient on the Lord. Stay patient on the Lord. He will bring it to pass on his timetable. The big problem is his timetable never matches our timetable. Never does. My timetable, instantaneous. Lord, you make a promise, I'll take it now. Doesn't work that way. You know what the, the prophet Isaiah says? says, shall the clay say to him that fashioned it, what are you making? You, can't, you don't get to question God. This is his show. This is his thing. He is up there. We're down here. He is an infinite being, and we're, we are finite minds down here. We're here for a while, and we're gone. We're like a flower, blooms and passes away. We're like dust, it blows away. It's gone. You don't get to say, what are you making, God? Well, Lord, I think you should make it different. Well, I think you should make a different color. I think you should do this. I think you should do that. We have, there is no counsel to God. He needs no counsel. You know what God says? He says, I am that I am. He told Moses, I am that I am. You know what that means? I will be what I will be. I am who I am. He is eternally existent. He is ever-present. He is all-knowing. He is beginningless. 
timeless, spaceless, immaterial. What piece of information do you have to offer a being like that? This, this, he is unimaginably powerful. Whatever you think you know of God, and maybe you've been studying your scriptures for a long time, and you can quote this or you can quote that, it's nothing to who he actually is. Absolutely nothing. Brothers and sisters, we're not in a position to counsel God. We're not in a position to counsel God on how to bring about his plan. Now, Sarah and Abraham, I believe they intended well. I, I truly do. I believe they were good, God-fearing folks. They loved the Lord. I mean, we're talking about Abraham, one of the most prominent figures in the Bible, one of the closest men to walk with God in the whole entire Bible. I believe they had in good intentions. I believe they actually had God's promises. I believe they were holding to those promises. They believed in them. They believed in God's word. I believe they intended well. They were thinking, hey, these promises are awesome. We love God. Let's help him with this. It was all good intentions. It was. They weren't evil. They weren't saying, we don't believe in God. He's no good. He's lying to us. No, no, no. It was not that at all. It was a good intention. But when we spring into action... When we're supposed to be waiting on God, things go wrong. And when things go wrong, there are consequences. There are consequences. Unavoidable consequences when we don't wait on God. It does not go good. When, when God is working things out on his timetable, and we come and uh, elbow him out of the way, say, step aside, Lord, my turn now, it's not going to go good. And in this story, it does not go well. It does not go good for Sarah and Abraham, and Hagar, for that matter. But never fear, brothers and sisters. We're talking about Abraham, this example of great faith, this example of trust in God. Surely, surely he corrected his wife and says, Sarah, I do not think this is going to work out well. I don't think that we should go this route. Maybe we better think this through a little bit. But the Bible says, Genesis 16, 4, and he went in unto Hagar. This man of great faith, he went in unto Hagar. That is a sexual expression. Brothers and sisters, listen to me now. There are three F's that have been the ruin of many a man. Maybe you've heard this before. Fame, finances, and females. Those, those three, three F's or like kryptonite to men. We have a very hard time handling those three F's. Fame, you know, the Bible warns in Timothy about pastors. It says, hey, you, you can't be a novice, meaning you can't be a noob to all this stuff if you want to be a pastor. Why? Because you'll be lifted up in arrogance. Because the Bible knows it's very practical. You will have a hard time with fame. Imagine, brothers and sisters, some, we stream this on YouTube. Imagine if we were getting 100,000 views a week. Imagine if people all over the world were saying, Oh, Jason, you are so wise. Oh, the Lord's speaking to you. You, you know so many things. You get so much insight. After a while, I'm going to say, Yeah, I am. Yeah, yeah. anything you need to know, come and ask me. I, I will let you know. Man, I, I know this Bible so well. It's going to happen. You can't be a novice and do this. Because that's, you will fall into arrogance, the fame. Finances, 
We didn't even talk about that. That's another piece of kryptonite for us men. We, we, we get these finances. If God should choose to bless us with a little bit of finances, then we exalt that as God. That becomes God. And we start to worship it. Oh, you are my God. The finances. And then the females. Right? I think I preached a month or two ago, and I told you, you can see like a power struggle in our nation between men and women. Amen? That the feminist movement, and I've said God already created perfect balance. You know, men with the physical strength, and, and we are physically stronger than women. It's just a fact. We like it or not, I'm sorry, that's how it is. I'm way stronger than my wife. But my wife has an insurmountable power that balances that out. Amen? Women, realize that. You have power. God created this balance to the universe between men and women. The females, they're, they're the kryptonite to men. Kryptonite. They're the, the weakness. Remember, remember the, the goofy Superman movies from a long time ago I used to watch growing up, and they would hang the kryptonite necklace on him, and he was this super powerful man, could do anything, time travel, throw people, whatever it was. But they hung that necklace on him, and he just sank down and shriveled up as nothing. The three Fs have ruined many families, up-and-coming politicians. There was there's stories I've watched about Man, this guy, he's going to be the next greatest president of the United States. He does everything right. He's such a man of principle and character. And finds out uh, he had a side babe. And it's all thrown down the tubes. The three Fs have ruined famous people. They've, they've ruined pastors. They, they've ruined marriages. Because we have a hard time with the females, us men do. Men, listen to me. You have your wife. Your wife. Quit looking at the other side of the fence. That's, that is such a problem nowadays in marriages that I don't think we even realize the power. You flip on your phone, and most of the time it's innocent and meaningless, but then here comes the bikini babes, and you start looking at other women. You're not supposed to be looking at other women that way. Men, Turn it clear off. Delete the app. Whatever you have to do. Do not look at that. Because what happens is subconsciously you start looking at that. And then you look at your wife and you begin to compare the two. Most of those goofy pictures are doctored up and photoshopped and this and that. Men, God gave you your wife. Stick with your wife. Anything outside of your wife. It's off limits. It's off limits. As we'll see, even with Abraham, this tremendous prominent figure in the Bible, him going in unto Hagar creates big problems. Going back to that verse, Abraham went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. Genesis 16, 5 says, And Sarai said unto Abraham, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid unto thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between me and thee. But Abraham said unto Sarai, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand. Do with her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarai dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. Now I'm going to read this to you over again because it's a touch tricky in King James. I want to read it to you in the New American Standard. Uh, you may have to listen because I didn't tell the guys we were going to read this. But New American Standard Version of that same passage, Gen Genesis 16, 4 and 5, says this. And he had relations with Hagar 
and she conceived. And when Hagar became aware that she had conceived, her mistress, Sarai, was insignificant in her sight. So Sarai said unto Abram, May the wrong done unto me be upon you. I put my slave woman into your arms, and when she saw that she had conceived, I was insignificant in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. So she's mad. She's angry. Multiple women don't work out well. It does not work out well, men. Hagar gets pregnant, and Hagar immediately begins to look down on Sarai. Oh, well, I'm giving this man what he wanted. He wanted seed, and I'm able to, and you're not. So she begins to look down on Sarai. Sarai starts getting angry, starts getting mad, and she starts to blame Abram. Oh, you, you big dumb oaf, look what happened. You should have defended me. Hagar's walking around like she's exalted over Sarah or something like that. Like she stole her spot. Now Abram's affections are going to be unto Hagar because she produced what he wanted after all. It, this is, see, immediately it's blowing up already. A lot of people try to point to the Bible and say, oh, it condones multiple marriages. No, it does not. It teaches us this stuff out of multiple marriages. Remember, Jesus says, uh-uh, from the beginning it was not so. You guys made up multiple marriages or plural marriages. Sarah gets angry at Abraham for getting her pregnant, not defending her. She blames Abram and scolds him. So it, it's causing marital issues already. Sarah comes and says, God judge between you and me. Because it, it causes this power struggle. There's a power struggle between the two women. Sarai begins to treat Hagar harshly. And it, it causes Hagar to flee. Sarah hates Hagar. But really, it's not all Hagar's fault either. I mean, she has a hand to play in it. Do you see the mess that it creates? All these complications. I mean, Hagar ends up fleeing. Sarah hates her. What a mess. But, but th that's just the immediate problems. Those aren't the long-term ones. These are just the immediate ones that arrive. There's not even a child's not even born yet, and there's problems. This mistake has long-term consequences. Now, some may argue that we're still dealing with the ramifications of Abraham and Sarah's foolishness. Well, God finds Hagar. We're not going to read all this. But God finds, he's trying to clean up the mess, and he says, go back, submit yourself to Sarah. And we come to Genesis 16, 11. It says, and the angel of the Lord said unto her, behold, thou art with child, and shalt bear a son, and shall call his name Ishmael. This is the Lord speaking to Hagar. Shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction, and he will be a wild man. His hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. You know, the, the translation, when the Bible says he shall be a wild man, the, the actual translation of that means he will be a wild donkey of a man. That's what it means. So take that for what it's worth. That's what the Bible tells us. He's going to be this wild donkey of a man, this Ishmael, this, this product of a marriage that wasn't supposed to take place. The result of Abraham and Sarah helping God is going to be this Ishmael, okay? Now, we're going to fast forward 14 years, okay? And Sarah finally gives birth to Isaac, the, the child of promise, the one who the covenant is through. We went through all this last week, right? 
brings us to Genesis chapter 21, verse 8. It says, And the child grew, this is talking about Isaac now, And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. Wherefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. And God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad and because of the bondwoman. And all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her voice, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And also of the son of the bondwoman I will make a nation because he is thy seed. Uh, I think it's funny that, look back at Genesis 21 verse 10. It says, Wherefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman. Notice the verbiage, cast out this bondwoman and her son. For the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son. We read back a few chapters ago that when she gave Hagar to Abraham to be his wife. She's a wife. Wife. She, he, she had achieved wife status. But now you fast forward. Look at Sarah calling her now. She's a bondwoman. Bondwoman. You can hear the venom in her voice, amen? She ain't a wife. She's a bondwoman. She's just a slave girl. She's just a little handmaid. She ain't going to have her son growing up with my son. Get her out of here. And the thing's very grievous in Abraham's sight. Do you realize? We failed to realize this. Ishmael was his son. It was his son. I'm sure he was proud and loved his son. I'm sure he was thinking up to this point, man, this is going to be my heir. This is the promise is going to come through Ishmael. Now, God corrects him and tells him no, but I'm sure he thought that at some point when that baby was born. And he, I mean, think about it, 10 years, all these promises of God, and he finally has that baby in his arms. He's rocking his baby back and forth, looking proud as a proud father does. And it's very grievous to Abram. Very grievous because his wife's not happy. Brothers and sisters, how many of you heard you? Men, have you ever heard this phrase, happy wife, happy life? You ever heard that? That's not a Bible verse, but it's sort of biblically truthful. It's true. If you don't keep her happy, you are not going to be overall happy in your home. Uh Uh-uh. So here's Sarah. She's saying, get rid of her and her son too. And very grievous to Abraham. He's thinking, it's my son and, you know, I love my son. It's very grievous and... God comes, he's trying to clean this mess up, and he says, send her down the road. Don't worry, I'll take care of them. I'm going to bless him also. Well, remember, Ishmael, he's actually 14 years older than Isaac. And Ishmael's mocking, he's making fun of Isaac. You know, whatever he was, goofy thing he was saying, but it makes Sarah mad. And we already know, Sarah doesn't like Hagar anyway. Remember, Hagar looked insignificantly upon her. You can't do what I can do. He likes me better. So Sarah says, get them out of here. Sarah wants rid of them. Very grievous, very grievous to Abraham. But he sends her away. Now, we'll sort of start to wind this down, but whatever happened with Ishmael? Okay, so so here's Abram and Sarah helping God, which turned out, God didn't need their help. 
God does not need our help to bring about his promises. Whatever happens with this Ishmael, this child that was produced when Abraham and Sarah decided to assist the Lord. Genesis chapter 25, verse 17 says this, And these are the years of the life of Ishmael, and hundred and thirty and seven years, and he gave up the ghost and died and was gathered unto his people. Verse 18 says, And they dwelt from Havilah unto Shur. Remember those two cities, Havilah and Shur. That is before Egypt, as thou goest toward Assyria, and he died in the presence of all his brethren. Now, if you read, the, the King James Version can be a little tricky sometimes. If you read this in a different version of the Bible, where it says, and he died in the presence of all his brethren, other, other versions of the Bible say, and he lived in open hostility towards all his brethren. He lived in defiance of all his brethren. Remember, who's Ishmael? He's a wild donkey of a man. Man's hands will be against him. His hands will be against man. So he's this fighting guy, just fights with everybody. We still have families alive like that today, right? Everybody knows a family just fights all the time. No peace, just fighting. Fighting for no good reason, just because they're fighters. That's Ishmael. He just was a fighting type of guy. Now, I got this from a website called gotquestions.org. Kind of like that. Listen to this. It says, the area of, remember those two places we just mentioned. The area of Havilah, where Ishmael's descendants live, is the northern part of the Arabian Peninsula. Shur, that's the other part we mentioned, Shur is a wilderness area between Beersheba and the Negev Desert in Egypt. Isaiah 60 verse 7 mentions the descendants of Nebuaeth and Kedar as those who raise flocks. Listen, the descendants of Ishmael became known as the Arabs, which basically means nomads. From the beginning, the descendants of Ishmael were a warlike people as they lived in hostility towards all the tribes related to them. So Ishmael's descendants become the Arabs, okay? Now listen, there is a popular theory among Muslims and some Christians that the Arabian Muslims are direct descendants of Ishmael. In fact, Muhammad was a major proponent of this idea, claiming to be a descendant of Ishmael according to the Quran. There is most likely some truth in this theory, according to missionary and author Ken Fleming. He says, what we know for certain seems to support the theory that the Ishmaelites are, at the very least, a major element in the Arab gen genetic line. Old records clearly link the North Arabians with Ishmael's descendants. Now, fast forward even thousands of years. I remember as a little kid, you know, Growing up in the 80s and the 90s, you know, mom and dad had the news on, and I would walk past. What would you hear about all the time in the, that 20th century? All of the skirmishes and the fights between the Arabs and the Israelis. The Arab-Israeli wars, they called it. I mean, they were fighting all the time over the West Bank, over the Gaza Strip. Palestinians fighting all the time, constantly. Here they are, thousands of years later, Arabs fighting these children of God. And, and what's it all linked back to? What we're going over today. What we're going over today. How about anyone ever do any reading on some of the Crusades? Now, I'm not blaming these things directly, but you look back at the Crusades. It was the Holy Roman Empire fighting a lot with the Muslims. They would just constantly try to expand one over the other and try to take their territory back. Arabs fighting all the time because he was a wild donkey of a man.
Now, there's all kinds of theories. If the band can make their way back now, there's all kinds of theories about Ishmael and his descendants. But the main thing for today is this. Wait on the promises of God. Wait on them. Sit there and be patient. Is it not difficult to be patient? There's one thing I wish that I pray about and I wish I could be better at is it's patience. I, I want everything now. I want it. Sometimes I think I wonder what's wrong with me. If we get in line at an ATM and there's one car in front of me, if they don't take 30 seconds, because I can do it in 30 seconds. You get up there, you press the button, you get your money, you go. It always seems like the person in front of me looks over, it looks like it's NASA asking them to program a shuttle to outer space. They look at this machine, they're like, And I'm sitting there behind them going, press the buttons, put your card in, take your card out, press your pin number, take your money. We, we laugh, but it's patience. You, you wouldn't, sometimes I wonder if it's the Lord that makes cars pull out in front of me and go slow. It's 55, you're going 30, go 55. I think it's the Lord, I do, I think it's the Lord. He's saying, are you going to learn yet, son? I'm 46 and I still haven't learned. Patience. Wait upon the Lord. Wait on Him. Brothers and sisters, when you help God, when you assist Him, it will not go good. When we get impatient, bad stuff happens. When we get impatient, we mess up. When we try to help God, when we try to instruct God, it's not going to go good. Let's stand this morning. Trust in this this morning. I'm going to close with a scripture from the New Testament. How many of you know that when God does finally bring his plan to fruition, it's so much better than we could ever have done ourselves. So much better. Listen to Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, unto him be glory in the churches by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Remember, we are just a little finite mind trying to figure out an infinite mind. It's not going to work. Trust God. Wait on His promises and He'll bring it about. And when He does, then you go, oh, Lord, I'm sorry for doubting because I see whatever God does something, it's a masterpiece. It's perfect. Let's pray. And we'll open these altars and we'll worship before we go. Father God, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we've spent three weeks looking at Abraham, Lord, and Sarah. And Lord, we learned so much, Lord. And Lord, I pray that everyone in here takes these things from the Old Testament, Lord, and we internalize them and we ask, what does this mean to me? It's not just a story, Lord, for us to familiarize ourselves with. It means something to us today. And Lord, I pray that every one of us takes home the fact that we are to wait on the promises of God, to sit tight and be patient and wait on you, Father God. For if we won't, Lord, you are warning us through this story of Abraham that things will go wrong. There will be consequences, Lord. But we thank you for how awesome your word is. Let us take it and apply it and live it. And Lord, let us be fully persuaded. Amen. Let's worship, church.